from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God will stand forever. Be seated. The resurrection of Jesus is as significant as his death on the cross. Recently, Tim and Kathy Keller were interviewed And they said the resurrection is verifiable or our faith is nothing. Much of our service this morning has been woven around the the words and the truths of 1 Corinthians 15, which verse 13 says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So therefore, what is discussed this morning is of utmost significance. It's not uncommon to have a membership interview, be it with a child, a professing faith, or even an adult from a different church to say, you know, what is the gospel? What's the good news that Christ died for me? Which is correct. We must not leave out the fact that he didn't stay in the tomb. And that's what we will discuss this morning. Firstly, we will look at the fact that the resurrection is verified. Secondly, the resurrection is not a surprise. And third, the resurrection brings many reactions. Firstly, the resurrection is verified. Before I start, I want you to think about what in your own personal life is causing you to not believe this. I'm sure there are many in the room who regularly go to church and they will say, well, I do believe in the resurrection. But has it impacted the way you live? Because if if he's been raised from the dead for your sake, and he demands holistic obedience over your whole life and everything that you say and do, where else are you putting your hope? Besides him, how do we see the resurrection verified? 
Firstly, it's witnessed naturally. We would say by women. In these first few verses, we have a little bit of detail on the morning. Several of the gospel writers differ in exactly how they highlight it. Most of them will at least say that women went to the tomb. Luke does not disclose who goes to the tomb in the first verses, but down in verse 10, we read that the people who tell the apostles are Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them. Several. I don't know how many. Several women were there. There were many. What's peculiar or significant about that? Remember, culturally, women couldn't hold testimony in court. They weren't respected. One apocryphal book called The Gospel of Peter actually shows embarrassment at these verses in the gospel and says men were the first to the tomb. Because it would be preposterous to listen to a group of women in a courtroom. Someone wouldn't have women as the first witnesses if it wasn't true. Friends, this morning we're being told by Luke that this actually happened. Whatever disbelief you bring to this text, whatever pain and hurt you bring from your life, all of the gospel writers say, this happened, no one would have had a group of women testify to it first. Unless it was actually true. This is so countercultural in the first century that Jesus has women come first to then proclaim it to the apostles. But that makes absolutely no cultural sense. Unless it's correct. Unless what they say is true, that they went to verify, they went to help, they went to take care of his body, and it wasn't there. He defeated death. It actually happened. And it changes everything. It should change everything that you say and do, if you believe it. Not just women, though. Who else is there? Well, this is witnessed not simply naturally, but it's, it's witnessed supernaturally. Who is it that is speaking to this group of women? Because they, they arrive and somebody's already there. What is their response to whoever it is that's there? They're frightened, they bow down, and they recognize that this person has dazzling apparel. Matthew mentions it's one angel. Mark mentions it's a young man in a white robe. John mentions two angels are in white. Who's right? Or do we have to pick? New Testament commentator Leon Morris says different, differing accounts that aren't exactly the same merely say these are four different independent accounts of the same event. They aren't necessarily contradicting each other. We see this often in the Gospels who say things from a different perspective or include an extra detail that the other may not. But when you pick them all together, this is not an ordinary person. It is very possible that it is at least one, if not two or several angels that are already there at the tomb. The stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. That's who the women hear from. 
they get their testimony. They get their eyewitness account. Most likely from a group of angels. The point is that the angelic realm, the the unseen beings that the Lord made, they too are testifying to the reality of the resurrection. This has been ongoing in all four of the Gospels, Jesus' entire life, even before He's born. Everybody knows who He is. The demons fear Him when He walks down the street. Everybody knows He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. Nobody is doubting it. So again, I ask, what in your life is causing you to doubt the power of the resurrection? What is causing your life to not line up with that of the Lord? Because you see, if He is raised from the dead, having paid for your sins, the whole man came out of the tomb. What is the expectation He lays on us? We take up our cross and follow Him. We put to death our self, our self-interests, our selfishness, our sin. We repent. We confess. That's the rest of our life. That's our lifestyle It only follows His lifestyle, not what I think is best. I submit to His Word. But if intellectually or emotionally we bring doubts, there will come a day when you won't doubt. One family, as we were already praying for this morning, Melt death on Monday night. Friends, I did a very difficult funeral on Friday. But this is something that is true of everyone in here. You're going to have a funeral. Whether there's an order of worship, whether it's in a church, whether there's a pastor that's officiating, we're all going to die. What we're talking about this morning cannot be avoided. What are you bringing this morning that's causing you to doubt the reality that as sure as you're going to die, the Son of Man was raised from the dead? But secondly, the resurrection is, is not simply verified, both naturally and supernaturally, just a few verses. But in a verse or two, we're going to see that the resurrection is not a surprise. For us, living in the materialistic, scientific world that we're in, and even in Jesus' day, there were actually Jews called Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Would this have been a surprise in the Scriptures? Should this have been a surprise to the apostles, to these women? Should it be a surprise to us? Whether or not we've grown up in the church, whether or not we're a part of the church, whether or not we're in a church now, whether or not we've never heard of any of this before. 
the angel states in verses 6 through 7, He is not here. He has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day, rise. See, there's the assumption that these women have heard this before. They, they know this should not be a surprise that they go to the tomb that Jesus is not there. Could death have possibly swallowed him up? Could, could victory be given to the grave? Preposterous. Several times in the Gospels, Jesus foretells his death to his disciples and many of the people that were following him, many of them being these women. In this particular Gospel, in Luke chapter 9, he says this, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. He's told them this before. At least on three different occasions. We don't know how many passing conversations he had with these women and with those 12 disciples to say, don't you understand what the purpose of my life is? Don't you understand why I'm going to Jerusalem during the week of Passover? Don't you understand what Passover actually is referring to? Didn't you hear the words of John the Baptist that this is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world? Isn't it making sense, people? But Hosea chapter 6, verse 2 is often an assurance of pardon in our liturgy here at Christ's covenant. After two days, He will revive us. And on the third day, He will raise us up that we may live before Him. That's in the Old Testament. That was the only Bible that's, that's around at this time. And so, what the angel is saying is not simply, didn't you hear Him say what He's going to do? But haven't you heard it throughout the Scriptures of the Old Testament? It's all over the place. The road to Emmaus, which is right after this account in Luke, says, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He basically sits down, and that would have been a wonderful experience. Way better than this sermon. To sit down with the Lord Jesus to say, could you open up Genesis through Malachi and explain to me what it's about? From the law and the prophets, it says, he explained how it all pointed to him. The entire Old Testament is pointing covenantally to the second person of the Trinity for this event, his death and his resurrection. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. That's what the entire book of Leviticus is about. Atonement. God becomes their neighbor. They have to have animals to compensate for His holiness and their sin. But those things didn't take away sin. But for sin to be taken away, blood has to be spilt. Life has to be given, pointing to the Lamb of God. 
as John the Baptist would say. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23 says, Cursed is everyone hung on a tree. Well, why was Jesus crucified on wood, on a cross? Fulfilling prophecy. As Paul will say in Galatians chapter 3, he says that that was pointing to Jesus. He has to die so that we might live. But a dead Savior is no Savior. So Ezekiel chapter 37 tells the story of the Valley of Dry Bones, where the army is, is raised miraculously. My text on Friday for a memorial service was John chapter 11, where Jesus greets death in the face of his friend Lazarus and then raises him from the dead. He proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Even Genesis 1 through 3, creation was made and everything is declared good. Not simply your soul. Everything that you see was created good. And everything that you see since Genesis 3 is tainted with sin. Our relationship to God, our relationship to each other, our relationship to ourself, our relationship to all creation is completely out of whack and hopeless. In Genesis chapter 3, he will have his heel bruised, but the serpent's head will be crushed. That's pointing to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Not simply will he be raised. But so will everyone on the day of judgment. There will be a new creation we see in the end of Revelation. There will be a new river. There will be a new tree. There will be the marriage supper of the Lamb instead of the Lord's Supper. Everything is being renewed. He even says in Revelation 19, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the trajectory of all human history. That's the trajectory of your life. That if you come here this morning, and you're not, a, you're not hearing this regularly. You're not in a church. You're not a student of the Bible. Please change that. Please meet the Lord in Scripture. Please meet the Lord corporately in a covenant community where the Bible is preached as often as they open the doors. What's more important? At your funeral, there won't be anything else of importance. Where do we find answers? Why is there evil in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Does God really care about me right now or about anything? Will He do anything about the wrong that I see, about the wrong that I've faced? The answers are all here. There are no truly good people. 
The wages of sin is death. Sin has caused all human suffering and is the reason why we face the first death. The reason why we have funerals. But there is an answer, and it is in this text, that if he has been raised from the dead, if he has paid for your sins on the cross, you will not face the second death. You will live with him forever. But friends, don't wait until then to live for him. We're called to live for him now in the power of his resurrection. But where would we, where would we find ourselves in this conversation if I was to sit down with you to say, tell me about your life. Tell me about your prayer life. Tell me about scripture reading. Tell me about what needs to change to align yourself with the risen Savior. Where are we with Scripture reading, with church attendance and membership, with submitting all of our life, everything we say and do, everything we do with our bodies, everything we do with our money, everything we do with our possessions? How are we reorienting our lifestyle around the Son of God? This morning, there's three different reactions in the text. And we may, we may find ourselves in one of them. What are the reactions to the resurrection? Well, I'm sure there are many. One is that the women remembered. Verse 8 gives us the reaction of the women as they are reminded by the angel of what the Scriptures have taught and how Jesus had foretold these things. It just simply says they remembered. They may have not been able to get a degree from a seminary. They may have not memorized all of the Old Testament. They may have not been able to pass some exam. But they remembered the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that makes all of the difference. They weren't trying to pass some highfalutin exam. They were just triggered in their mind with what the angel said. Don't you remember what he said? Don't you remember what he said was going to happen to him? He was going to suffer and die. But then on the third day, he would be raised. They lay down their doubts. They lay down their opposition. They lay down whatever lifestyle they prefer. It simply says they remember. So therefore, what, what exact, how, how did this happen for them? They had been among the followers of Jesus for years. They had witnessed many things. They remember His words. The time spent with Jesus in listening to Him made an obvious impact on His life, even though they're in the midst of trauma trying to find out where he's buried and if he's there. The words and actions of Jesus came together, though, for Mary and Martha, as I just mentioned, because there was the week that their brother died. And their love of the Lord was tested. Are you who you say you are? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then Jesus raised him. 
and the words that he had been speaking to them and all of the other miracles came alive for them. The words and the actions came together and they come together perfectly in the person of Jesus. They had been impacted by him saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. They believe that. They remembered. It's clicking for them because they had paid attention to Jesus. They had spent time with them. They were intentional. They didn't simply know good things about the Lord. They knew the Lord. You know good things about the Lord without possibly knowing Him and trusting Him and submitting to Him. Are you spending time in Scriptures and in prayer in Christian fellowship? The women remembered. This wasn't the first time they'd heard His name. Are we members of churches regularly listening to the gospel being preached and lived out imperfectly in community? If so, odds are when death comes to your family, unexpected, unannounced, you'll remember the words of this this text and these events. What about the apostles? Sadly, here in this moment, the apostles doubt. This is strange and sad. The women go and share with the apostles, and all Luke tells us in verse 11 is, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Obviously, this isn't a complete rejection of the faith. These are going to be the first church planters. Most of them will be martyred for their faith eventually. But in the moment, they just can't wrap their mind around this. They had spent the time that the women did. They had seen the miracles. They'd heard the words. But then when the rubber met the road and he's hanging on a tree, they say, this can't be. They they hear him at the Last Supper and rather than a picture of his death, they say, well, I'm the greatest. You're not the greatest. The kingdom is coming. We're about to divvy up. I'm the greatest. No wonder the women come back, say he's not there, he's risen, and they say, folly. Can't be true. They were part of the visible church as it was forming. They saw sinners saved. The idea that this was the event that was foretold seemed too much. They were confused at the Last Supper. And this is a reminder again They knew a lot about the Lord. They did know the Lord. But in the time of trial and difficulty, their faith was very, very weak. It was stagnant. And this is a warning to all of us that maybe regularly attend worship. Maybe we even serve in our local church. Maybe nothing that I've said so far this morning is new. We must have humility about what we know and constantly be in a state of repentance. For we're all sinners. These apostles are sinners whose faith was very weak. But there's one 
Peter. He, his reaction is to go and confirm. Verse 12 tells us something different about Peter. He gets up and he runs to the tomb. Peter saw, using the Greek word blepo. And in verse 6 in John chapter 21 of his account, the Greek word is changed to theoreo, which is our word for theorize or rationalize. See, as he goes to the tomb, he not, he not only sees visibly that, that Jesus is not there. Well, maybe they were right. But he actually sees in the, account, the gospel account in John that the, the grave clothes are folded. No grave robber is going to go and fold the clothes if they're stealing a body or stealing from the grave. And so he's, he's thinking about it and he's saying, must be true. He doesn't hear the account from the women and simply check out and say, well, I'm smarter than you. I spent more time with Jesus. You must be wrong. I'm leaving. He says, no, I'm going to go to the tomb. I want to know. I want to ask questions. So he does. And his reaction, it says simply, he went home marveling at what had happened. If we're coming to this text this morning and we want to argue and we want to deny and we want to doubt, don't check out tomorrow. Find a a pastor or a leader of a church wherever you live and go verify, go confirm, go and argue and ask and, and question that individual. Run to the tomb. Find out for yourself. Run to the Scriptures, as the angel told the women to do. What is your response to all of this? We hear the message of the Gospel, and remember, or do we doubt, or do we marvel after investigation, like Peter? Who, yes the unlikely apostle to actually believe this and run to the tomb after denying Jesus three times, will eventually at the end of the Gospel of John be told, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. You will be led to a place you do not want to go. But feed my sheep. And he will. He will plant churches. He will preach the Gospel. And he will be martyred for his faith. All the while knowing the resurrection is true. Death has been answered. And one day, all suffering, all mourning will cease for those who believe this. Let us pray together. Lord Christ, we submit our lives to you even as we sit and humbly process, as Peter did, what we've been told. I pray for everyone here that we would not simply doubt and run away or close our hearts and minds and ears off to the gospel, but that we would remember what we've been told, that we would run and investigate for ourselves to the Scriptures, and that we would marvel that a Savior would not only die for me, but He would be raised 
on the third day that I would see him again face to face and live with him forever. Amen.